The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Suplex here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. It's dangerous to go alone. That's why I brought my co-host with me, Sandy Gaviria. Sandy, how are you? Hi, Josh. I'm good. How are you? And hi, everyone listening. Can you believe it? I'm we so had excited. we had what I would I'm going to claim as a record-breaking first episode ever. Uh, the numbers are in. We're a we're a big success. I'm going to call it. We're a big success. Uh, lots of friends and family <laughs> taking the time out to listen. Uh, I have friends and family that are not wrestling fans that were listening. My nephew, who is nine, who's never watched any wrestling, found out that I recorded a podcast, and now he won't stop asking me about wrestling. So that's pretty cool. So, you know. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. How's fame changed you this week, Sandy? <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been amazing. I've gotten some great feedback. There's been friends and people that I've known over the years, like, that I haven't talked to in possibly like 10 years and they're like oh my god I can't wait to check this out and then they'll, they'll tell me like hey it was so great to hear you um and hear your input and like you mentioned a lot of them were not even wrestling fans or maybe even video game fans but hey now they want to check out wrestling and that is one of my personal goals with this is to get people to enjoy the games that we love to enjoy the wrestling that we love maybe those people that are not familiar with that product and we're, we want to get just eyes on all of these things that we love Absolutely. And before we get started into Emergency Night 1, I do want to make sure to remind you that support for the 8-Bit Suplex is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And that's not all, Sandy, is it? Oh, my gosh. So I just found out about this. Yes, I'm a female, but hey, you know what? Christmas is coming. That's what I tell my boyfriend. He might need one of these. Um, but we have a special promotion going on. Um, we actually have a deal where if you you can be one of the first five people to use code SUPLEX, that's S-U-P-L-E-X, at checkout on manscaped.com after you create your purchase, you will actually receive the AEW All Out Pay-Per-View, completely paid for and courtesy of the Social Suplex Network. Like I mentioned, all you have to do is be one of the first five people to use the code SUPLEX. And we do have to make sure we provide a uh, confirmation of the purchase. All you have to do is send that over to socialsuplex at gmail.com, and they'll be able to take care of that um, AW All Out pay-per-view for you. That's pretty freaking cool. Can I be a part of that, Josh, or am I not eligible? I think we're exempt for that, Sandy, but and, uh, you know, unfortunately, oh and I know, I know. And I had already purchased my Manscaped lawnmower 3.0. Uh, prior to this contest uh, coming to fruition, but that's okay. I'm not bitter. I'm just happy to be able to share this with the fans, of which I'm told there's now millions. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and like you said, I mean, it's a great deal. The all-out pay-per-view, I think, is like 60 bucks. So if you go and you spend, you know, $40, $50 on manscaped.com, uh, you're going to net – because, I, I listen, I'm a businessman. There could be some net value coming back to you. If you shoot over that receipt to socialsuplex at gmail.com. And like you said, hey, makes great gifts. Makes great gifts oh, to all the female yeah. friends out there. Um, and listen, 
if you're someone that doesn't want to use it for their body, uh, it works great on faces. I'm not saying that you should do both at the same time. Uh, there might be, need, you know, maybe some cleansing that has to happen. Uh, but you know, that's up to you, and no judgment here. Uh, you know, no shame. <laughs> Let's keep it sanitary, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like for the more we talk about it, the more we're gonna get into a, a part of this that we don't want to talk about. So, <laughs> so oh, moving on, moving right, on. Moving on. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Uh, so, uh, emergence night one. Impact Wrestling, uh, much like the other two uh, midweek promotions uh, that we see on television, decided that they were going to do a pay-per-view level card spread out across two weeknights on television for free, uh, if, as long as you're a subscribing cable member. Um, and we've seen pretty good success for both NXT and AEW doing this, um, both with uh, you know the Great American Bash and then uh, I believe it was uh, Fight for the Fallen. They did that as well for AEW. Um but you know what? We're the Impact Wrestling Podcast, so we're going to stick to talking about this one. And Emergence Night 1, I thought, was pretty awesome. I totally concur, Josh. I thought it, it was it was a blast. Um, we'll, go, we'll, get, we'll go through the card and kind of talk about the different matches and what we liked or uh, maybe even disliked. But preferably the things that we do like, as we mentioned briefly last uh, episode, we actually want to be a podcast where you get positivity drizzled into your day. You know, you, you see a lot of uh, different content that is can become negative. And, you know, sometimes here and there you will hear us say, criticize something that we, maybe that we didn't like, but we want to keep it as fun as possible and as positive as possible. So even if it's there's that in there, hey, let's find the positive in that. And I think that's, that's a pretty good thing to do. Yeah, I think, you know, especially, if, you know, if the match itself doesn't fire on all cylinders, there's still a lot of work that goes into it. There's still a lot of dedication these people are putting in behind the scenes. Uh, so we want to highlight that and say, look, I mean, maybe it wasn't the best match we've ever seen, but there's some still real life bumps and bruises that are happening. And we definitely want to make sure that we call that out. Uh, I don't know that Sandy will ever get into star ratings and different things like that, except when you oh, subscribe no. to our podcast, subscribe, rate it five stars and leave a quick review telling us how much you love us. Cause I know that's the only option. Um, but outside, outside of that, you know, we're just going to keep it light and positive. And, you know, with that, we're going to jump right in here to the first match on the card, which was the X Division Championship, where the uh, defending champion Chris Bay put his title on the line against TJP. And as we saw last week, uh, Rohit uh, Raju decided to jump in and convince Chris Bay, hey, I got your back if you make this a triple threat match. And uh, so, I mean, I thought this was a great match to start with. I thought there was a lot of energy. Uh, what did you think about this one overall, Sandy? I absolutely loved the fun start of the match with TJP just going over the top rope and taking down his two appointment opponents. As Josh was saying on commentary, TJP understood that this was essentially going to be a handicap match, a two-on-one with the champion Chris Bay and, was it Rohit? Rohit? Raju. (laughs) My accent may come out when I say his name, so I apologize in advance. But he understood that. And, man, can we talk about TJP and his incredibly innovative offense on both opponents? I was blown away. Yeah, you know, we we, we kind of, you know, poked fun at TJP for his Twitter account last week. But uh, as as much fun as it is to – poke fun at his Twitter account. That's how much fun it is to watch the guy wrestle. And, you know, he's, he's silky smooth. Uh, you know, 
I don't remember the last time I saw him really, you know, quote unquote, botch anything. Um, but especially here, I, you know, two guys attacking him at once. He puts one in a submission. Second guy comes over, and now he's got both in a submission move. And these are, you know, they're, you know, if he goes for a Boston Crab, he's also going to cross the leg, and he's going to wrench on it that much more. Uh, I just, I felt like, and and the commentary did a great job putting this over. It didn't matter what angle you came at DJP. He had an answer for it. And it was super exciting. DJP, did you remember the uh, double octopus hole? Yes. I was just like, I was holding my head like, what? I, like, I couldn't remember a time that I'd seen that before. Um, so I was just like, oh, this is just, mwah, chef's kiss. I can say online, right? <laughs> right yeah. Hashtag chef's kiss. Um, you know, what's great too is I think he turned one of those octopus uh, stretches on Chris Bay into kind of a uh, crucifix slam a little bit. And then bridge oh, that into the pin. Beautiful. And I, I, he had a leg lock in on Chris Bay early in the match. And then he did a bridging suplex to Rohit Raju and got the pin dead too. Um, and it was just, you know, I, every time you see TJP, he's always doing something that just shows like he's that much more flexible. He's that much more athletic. You know, he's not as, as flippy as he used to be, uh, but he proves that that's totally okay. And if you like technical wrestling, TJP's your guy. You know. Oh, yeah, especially this match with two different guys. He's over here. He was Zack Sabre Jr., but, like, of course, it's in his own TJP kind of way. And with two opponents at once, I was blown away. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and he did do some aerial stuff. Um, that was pretty impressive, too. Uh, he kind of does that uh, springboard to the outside, almost like an over-the-top rope 619, um, which, is pretty, which is a pretty cool move. Uh, we're not going to only talk about TJP with this match. Uh, because he didn't win it as much as we talk about how yeah, great he was in it. You know, he, he got a lot of offense in, he got a lot of defense in. Um, but ultimately, towards the end of the match, we see Chris Bay up in a tree of woe, and TJP's about to win it, about to do a finishing move. And here comes Rohit Raju, climbs to the turnbuckle. Chris Bay thinks, all right, great, he's going to save me. I'm going to retain this. And then we get a double stomp from the top by. Rohit Raju to Chris Bay, and then that's it. One, two, three. Rohit Raju kind of weasels his way into this match and comes away the winner. <laughs> I was here for it. I'm slamming my desk. I was excited. So I was not very familiar with uh, Rohit Raju. I think this is my first time seeing one of his matches. Same here. I was super impressed. His facial expressions how vocal he is. He's very animated. Mm -hmm. We didn't see him do a lot of offense, like on the, on the same scale as TJP or maybe even Chris Bay, but you, you could still feel his presence. He wasn't overshadowed by the other two uh, more athletic, more agile uh, opponents. He was there and he made himself seen and heard. And you know how they usually tease um, when somebody's going to do that sneaky turn. I feel like this came out of nowhere. The entire match it was like, all right, no, he's still kind of there to help Chris Bay up to the very last second as he said gotcha swerve double stomp pin new right. camp one two three loved it and, and so many times i feel like that that turn in the triple threat right it happens really early in the match and now it's a just a true triple threat this thing was a handicap okay. match until the last five seconds until i mean exactly. it was boom flipped it on its head uh chris bay didn't Took him. He was trying to figure out what happened. TJP didn't understand what happened. I mean, you know, and you know, TJP has a lot of other stuff going on. He was just on New Japan Strong this week. 
you know, so, you know, we'll see kind of what's kind of going on with him. He's talking about being in a tag team. So, you know, no, he's got other things going on, but for Chris Bay, you know, he got the guy in the match. He made it a triple threat and then the guy turns on, you know, it's, it was, I, I mean, you can't pick a better match to kick off. What is going to be your two night event? I think. Correct. And I perfectly agree with that statement. It was so much fun. I loved it. I can't wait to watch him wrestle more. Rohit Raju. I'm not going to forget his name. Very excited that he's a champ. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, X Division always seems to deliver, uh, quite frankly. Uh, next up, we have uh, what I'm going to say right now. And I'm, I'm going to speak confidently here. We're a podcast that loves Russell House. Are we not? I, I, yes, we are. I love it. <laughs> I thought the, the banter between Larry D and AC Romero I, I was literally sitting at my desk with my AirPods in, with my kids running around behind me, and I was just laughing at my computer uh, because <laughs> the just the, the back and forth, the ring rust cologne, I mean, the it was just, it was some really funny stuff. Uh, definitely, definitely, if there's YouTube clips of Wrestle House, go watch it. I need to do that. I need to catch up for the uh, the beginning part. We all, I've only seen the one the clips from last week, last week's episode and this week. So I definitely want to catch up and see how this all even started because it's hilarious. It's, this is yeah. a great part of pro wrestling entertainment. This is the entertainment aspect that I feel works. It's entertaining. I'm laughing. I'm enjoying it. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where we get so wrapped up in Okay, let's let's get these work rate matches out there. Let's do all this really cool athletic stuff. And that's believe me, listen, I'm a huge fan of Lucha. I love the stuff that the Young Bucks are doing. But you know what? Let's do a little bit of fun stuff, right? Let's you know, let's mix it in. Let's incorporate that into our show and let's do it naturally in a way that doesn't completely take you out of what's going on with the programming, right? You see Absolutely. these you see these cornball backstage segments sometimes with WWE. Um where it's just kind of like, all right, well, now I'm changing the channel. But with Russell House, I feel like it's, it's, it brings you in, and then the, with the concept, and then the people that are in it are performing perfectly. They're, they're a great comedic act. Exactly. And it's, I, me personally, I feel like the reason why this works so well is that they're not trying to, to be something they're not. They know it's entertainment. They know it's silly. They know it's supposed to be silly, and that's how it's going to be. It's not like, some of the backstage segments, like you mentioned, WWE, where it sounds so corny and silly, but they're trying to be so serious. Like, okay, well, no, you you lost me because I thought that was supposed to be silly, but you're taking it so seriously. I'm not taking it seriously if I think it's corny, but this works. I know it's silly. I know it's supposed to make you laugh. It's supposed to give these guys an opportunity to show uh, who they are and their character, and it's, I think it's done very well. Yep, absolutely. And then next up, we had a uh, little backstage vignette from uh... – the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and uh, Doc Gallows. I thought it was a nice little preview for their match. Uh, showed a lot of intensity, uh, kind of getting ready for the night. Um, and we got to see that match later on. And it kind of, you know, it, I kind of wished it was the next one up. Um, but it was not the next one up, was it? It was not. So we had the self-proclaimed TNA World Heavyweight Champion Moose in action versus Trey Miguel of the Rascals. And if you remember from last week, Trey Miguel had Suicide's mask on, and Moose thought he was suicide. <laughs> and as we know with the World Heavyweight Championship, they are invitation-only uh, chances. Uh, 
And Moose was obviously very, very angry at Dre Miguel that he took that, was which was intended for suicide. Let's uh, you know, what did you think of this match here? <laughs> Moose looked absolutely terrifying. He looked like he wanted to murder Trey when he came out. And then I also add, he looked like a freaking superstar with that robe. His whole little, oh, he looked oh, great. Yeah. He looked fantastic. But I was like, oh no, Trey Miguel is about to just die. <laughs> But I really love what Rain was saying uh, during commentary at the beginning of the match. She said that, hey, Trey, Miguel, he may have the heart of a champion, heart of gold, but tonight he, he or ever, he just may not become a champion, especially not against Moose. And I was like, oh, girl, you're right. But then I thought, okay, you know, we have the, the dynamic of big man, little man, the underdog versus this monstrosity. I... We see that so often, and sometimes it can be done so well, and sometimes it's just like, oh, whatever, squash. We knew that was going to happen. Right. I personally thought this was an absolute great showcase uh, match for Trey Miguel, especially for someone like me who's not familiar with his work. The kid looked fantastic. Even though he did not, he came up short, he didn't win the championship, he was able to go out there, his, his defense, his his, oh my God, he had such a, an intense energy about him where he was, he knew he was about to get his ass kicked, but he was going over there and just giving it his all. I absolutely enjoyed Trey Miguel very much, and I hope to see more of him as well. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job setting up the scene where we obviously knew there was a size discrepancy. And then early on, Trey Miguel tries to hit Moose with chops, and it does nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and then Moose hits him with one chop, and he hits the mat. I mean, Moose is terrifying. You hit it on the head. The guy looks like a million bucks. And what's crazy, too, is there was one spot where Trey Miguel got up to the top rope to get ready to jump, and Moose drop kicked him off. And it was in his head. Like, he got that elevated. Rocked. And it was, I mean, uh, Moose's drop kicks are all just, you know, hashtag chef's kiss. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, and every, towards the end, when he's when it started to feel like okay, Trey Miguel had this kind of comeback. It was a really nice comeback. He, like you said, he got some offense in. He was doing some great moves, and then Moose just flipped that switch, and then hit him with the spear, and that was it. Which he calls the lights out because he kind of twists at the end. There, it's a little different. And then uh, we get a little bit of post match surprise from none other than EC3, who decided he was just going to take the belt. I thought I thought this segment here um, could have could have been better had there been an audience in the crowd. Mm -hmm. It just it feels so awkward him just coming in here, just complete silence, attacking Moose. Was thinking about leaving, then he came back for the title and then took it. He stole it, but um, that moment would have been a lot better with the crowd. Yeah, I agree with that. And and what's interesting too is we have some you know. Unfortunately, we live in this internet world where we kind of heard that EC3 is also going to be doing some ROH tapings. So it kind of, we'll see kind of where he winds up full time. I imagine it'll be with Impact full time, and he's just getting some extra matches in on ROH. Um, but you know, I, we'll see what happens here. But he definitely he came in and he flattened Moose uh, pretty quickly here. So they're definitely setting that up. Um, 
I imagine it won't be next week. I imagine that we'll be looking at uh, Bound for Glory, which is the next pay-per-view. Um, but I'm excited to see those two guys because they are a couple of big guys. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see. Uh, after that, we see uh, a little interesting uh, Eric Young video talking about all the things he's been in Impact. Um, you know, talking about how he was the super athletic protege type. He was this type. He was that type. Um, and really setting up this this crazy Eric Young that we have today. Um, I thought it was a nice little video package. And then we get right into the, fa- the flashback moment of the week, which was uh, him beating Kurt Angle in a uh, stretcher match. I want to go back and watch this match. I was I was watching this clip. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? But no, I, I had a lot of fun just watching that small clip. Right. When was the last time you saw someone giving someone two pile drivers to finish them off? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Seriously. That looks so brutal. And every time I see Kurt Angle get dropped on his head, I die a little bit. Yeah, someone's cringe. I'm like, oh no, your neck, my man. What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, I believe that was 2015. I have to go back and look, but I think I know there was a five in there. I think it was 2015. I don't think it was 05. (laughs) Um, Maybe it was. Maybe it was 1995, and we're all just dreaming. (laughs) I don't think it was 95. (laughs) But it wasn't. I mean, it was vicious. then next up, uh, and I'll point this out too. I like that there's no like true form to how Impact runs their shows. It's not match promo, match vignette, match this. You can get a couple of these things setting up this next this next stuff. Uh, Willie Mack is getting interviewed backstage. Brian Myers decides he's going to talk. Takes the cameraman, takes the reporter, <clears throat> and. Because what I thought was actually a really good Brian Myers promo. <gasps> I was so hyped. I was like, oh, yes, tell him. He just, he flat out called out Vince McMahon yep. and the E, which was super entertaining. I was like, oh, shots fired. Um, but he pretty much just told, hey, I'm here on Impact now, and you guys better get your shit straight. Uh, better watch your stuff because he's, he's had it. He's set up. And I don't blame him. That's a great story storyline yeah, for him i think the yeah the line he said i'm just i'm sick of just being somebody's hand um because we hear that mm-hmm. so many times if you listen to you know the the conrad averse of podcast all of his hosts have their oh this guy or that guy was a great hand well why didn't you push him in well he was a great hand and brian myers was fed up i mean and, and i can imagine being there as long as he was and not getting a real serious shot at anything and then to just kind of okay well the you know WrestleMania is in New York. You and Matt Cardona are both from New York. We'll give you the tag titles, and then we're going to take them off of you. And then that was it, <laughs> right? Like, that guy was. I I don't know exactly how long Brian Myers was there, uh, but it was a few years. And to really get nothing meaningful aside from that and losing 200 matches in a row, that's got to be frustrating. So uh, I like what he's doing. I like the edge he has to him. Um, and speaking of people with uh, an edge to them right now, Willie Mack comes over and decides that he's going to fight him because he took away his interview time. <laughs> and we are left with a very unfortunate camera angle here. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> there was, I was like, oh, there was no. A, cut it, cut it. <laughs> there was a lot of Willie's backside in the uh, in the camera view. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it does set up 
uh, which I think will be uh, a chance to steal the show next week at Emergence Night 2, which we'll get into a little bit more later. Uh, but they did announce a match between Brian Myers and Willie Mack, and uh, I'm excited about it. But we'll talk more about that later. The aforementioned Good Brothers come on out for their match against Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. And before we get into it, I don't know if you noticed this, but they said the, they booked the Good Brothers from Tokyo, Japan, which I thought was interesting. A little bit nod back to the fact that they tagged in Japan together, uh, maybe a nod to where they might be headed next. Um, but I know they are signed with Impact, um, but I know there's sometimes you know deals that they can cut where, okay, in the United States, we're only going to wrestle with Impact, but we'll also go wrestle New Japan. So I don't know if that's a little, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink there. I caught that. Um, but, you know, I thought this was a pretty great match between, you know, four really, you know, I, we haven't seen Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows uh, wrestle like this in a long time, I don't think. And they moved pretty good. Ace, Ace Austin is, I mean, the the, the name is, is there for him, right? I mean, he's going to be the ace of, of impact for sure. The guy moves well. He's charismatic. The purple hair does it all for me, right? I mean, he's just every move he did was slick. Um, I loved that he did. He basically gave Carl Anderson the paper cut of doom with the playing card, <laughs> with with his ace. Oh, the playing card. Oh, that's yeah. good. Okay, so yeah. I was I for some reason I was watching this maybe when I was typing my notes or anything. I could have swore he took out a blade, and I was like, oh no. So I thought he had a, he had a blade in his like uh, wrist. No, no, it's like, the ace okay, up his so sleeve. Hard... Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, God, that makes me feel a lot better. I was like, oh no, this 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 took a turn. <laughs> yeah, no, it kind of plays into that whole uh, kind of gambit from X Men look that he has, um, mm-hmm. and also you know the fact that he is the ace, you know, Ace Austin. He's got the ace up his sleeve, um, and Carl Anderson sold it like it was the most painful thing in the world, and that's because paper cuts, Sandy, are the most painful things in the world. <laughs> I don't know the last time I I've got one, every- but I hope to God I never get another one. <laughs> They're the worst. I just always think back of, you know, Jackass. I don't know if you ever watched Jackass growing uh, up. Yeah. Was it Steve-O with the, oh, God, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. For the viewers, <laughs> uh, for, the, for the viewers, oh, my God, this is not a visual thing. Uh, for the listeners <laughs> at home, uh, we are not going to discuss further what Steve-O did. Um, probably ever on this podcast in case you've forgotten we don't want to jar any memories uh but yes you know i i grew up in the 90s so jackass was definitely the show that i turned on uh, after my parents fell asleep um because yes. much like professional <laughs> wrestling i was certainly not allowed to watch jackass <laughs> <laughs> my mom never found out it was okay <laughs> yeah you know i you know i don't know how much my mom knew what i watched or didn't watch or you know i, I imagine she cared quite a bit the Simpsons wasn't allowed in my house either. So, I mean, we were, we had, I know it was because Bart was disrespectful oh. to his parents and my parents oh. didn't, didn't want us to tell them to eat their shorts, which as a parent <laughs> now I can understand not wanting your child to tell you to eat their shorts. Uh, but Hey, listen, don't give me a reason to tell you that. That's my take. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, but g- good match. And, uh, it ended the way I think we all expected to with the magic killer. Um, one, two, three, pretty clean cut. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with, uh, with the good brothers. If they enter them into, you know, a, a tag team championship, uh, situation, or if they're just going to hang around and just beat up on other guys, it'd be interesting to see. I don't know. 
I kind of like the tag team situation they got going on. I don't think they need to enter those guys in the championship, but you know, that's my opinion. What do you think, Sandy? I absolutely agree. And you know what? To me, although every card in the show, uh, every card in the show, every match in the card, um, <laughs> it's late. <laughs> it's, yeah, we got to stop delivered. recording so late. <laughs> right? Even in the, every match delivered uh, to me. Um, this is actually my, my weakest one. Mm-hmm. I, In my personal opinion, it's the weakest one for me. Um, I mean, everything did look great. I'm not familiar with Ace Austin, so I did get to see him uh, perform, and he looked great. Fulton, I don't remember Fulton being this big compared to when he was in NXT. My God, he's massive. He's huge, yeah. Um, yeah, the big man exchange uh, with Luke Gallows and Fulton was really fun. It, it really worked because they're so evenly matched as far as size, you know, how how big they are and um, how tall they are. So I think it was it was a great exchange. The match... To me, there was a lot of back and forth. So they both looked equally, both teams looked equally strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some, some, a couple of things that I was watching. I was like, wait, why did he do that? Or why didn't he do that? Um, but that's just me being nitpicky. Um, overall, I thought it was a great match. Like I said, it was the weakest one for me. I didn't like the, the ending didn't look so good to me. Uh, you know, when Luke Gallows actually goes they were on the outside and he gives him a big boot to Fulton to make sure that he doesn't go in uh, yeah, to disrupt the pin from Carl Anderson. That looked a little clunky to me. Um I wish it would have been a stronger impact, uh no pun intended, to right. make it seem like okay, they definitely needed to take that big guy out. It was just kinda like, oh here you go. You're away now. Let's get the pin. Yeah, and you know, I almost think too, like a better move in that situation is to skip the whole foot in the fence thing. Cause I don't believe for a second, Madman Fulton's foot could get stuck in that fence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to, to get the big boot, I say, you just, you, you throw the guy into the barricade and then you do the old clothesline over the top. And then that's how you get him out of it. That would have been much cleaner, I think. And then it doesn't look as clunky and you don't have to do this whole foot stuck in the rail thing, but you're right. That's kind of being nitpicky and you know, it was still fun. I agree with you. It was probably the lowest one on the card for me, um, but mm-hmm. it's not like because it was bad. I just think everything else was really good. Oh, that's a great positive way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, exactly. I do want to make a shout out to uh, Ace Austin. His his knees, he does different knee variations. Yes. Very cool. I'm kind of jealous. I wish I had some strong looking knees like that. I love that <laughs> knee offense. <laughs> well, it you just got to get some new pad, uh, knee pads, Sandy, that make your knees look buff. Not just buff like that. I mean the maneuvers. <laughs> I'm gonna kick everyone in the face with me. <laughs> well, I'm sure Logan will let you practice. Oh, <laughs> he better. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So next up, we have our second, uh, and we only had two segments of Russell House this week. Um, but of course, this was the match that they teased last week for night one of emergence from Russell House, and that was uh, Ty of Valkyrie versus Kylie Ray who is our number one contender for the knockouts division. Um, I thought it was pretty funny here in the lead up to it. They started doing this whole thing uh, about missing beer. Um, and then Rosemary and uh, Larry D who now calls himself Lawrence D because he's so smitten with her trying to win her over. I uh, had a good back and forth about like teasing out like, Oh, I'll, how about we do something next week together? Uh, so not teasing a match for next week, but, Further in that romance, that love triangle, that, you know, Jai Bravo, Rosemary thing. And uh, I thought that was a good little kind of thing. And then we see Rosemary's the ref. Now, 
before we get into the match, I have a bone to pick here because Tommy Dreamer, who once sent me a message on Twitter, <laughs> did not show up at all in Russell House this week. Sandy, what up with that? Sad face, tear face. I love that that's your gimmick. Tommy Dreamer messaged me on Twitter once. Sandy, that's your, that's not, your gimmick. We're not supposed to talk about what my gimmick is, okay? That's for the <laughs> listeners to figure that out. <laughs> but you know what? I, I know where he was. He was writing me another message. I'm going to assume there that's what go. it is. He's, he's I, haven't gotten it. Again. I haven't gotten it yet, but I will. <laughs> So, you know, posted, I guess. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> so, we got a good match here, I think, from Taya and Kylie Ray. I want to see this match again away from Russell House, but mm. it was, you know, compared to the Russell House matches that we got last week, obviously, this one was much longer. Um, it was better, in my opinion. They kind of sold the fact that, you know, Rosemary and Taya are friends. So, Rosemary kind of teaches the ref a little bit. Uh, but, you know, hey, listen, she's got to go back into the house with everybody. Uh, so she does begrudgingly count for Kylie Ray when she's pinning. Um, you know, I both of these women can wrestle. They're both really good. Uh, Tyler makes reference to the fact that she used to work in Mexico and slaps away, you know, Kylie Ray's hand uh, for the handshake. Uh, overall, I just thought it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for me as well. Um, the match ultimately fulfilled its purpose being in WrestleHounds is to progress that storyline to mm-hmm. progress the fact that, Hey, Kylie Ray is the number one contender and she's going to now beat Taya, who, um, who's one of the greatest knockouts in impact history, who has wrestled over the world, who is now the leader of leader or host. Or I don't know what her role really is. Well, I know her role, but right. her title is WrestleHounds. I think she's kind the of like the, is- uh, yeah, the self-appointed house mother or something, you know, uh, something, you know, very uh, uh, facts of life kind of uh, I'm setting the rules kind of thing. Um, exactly. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you're right. It's not going to be some classic that, you know, Dave Meltzer is going to write a think piece about. Right. It's Russell House. It's pr- progressing the story of Russell House. Um, and, you know, it leaves us on a cliffhanger, uh, which is who took the beer? <laughs> oh, that's right. I mean, I my theory is the reason we didn't see Tommy Dreamer this week, aside from him messaging me again, is mm-hmm. that Tommy Dreamer is probably the guy that took the beer. Because I don't think – I think everyone else was in the episode uh, except Tommy Dreamer. So I'm going to make a prediction here, and I'll probably be wrong next week. But <laughs> for this week, I'm going to say Tommy Dreamer took the beer. So we'll see. Giant cliffhanger. Next episode, they're going to show him at his computer writing to you, Josh, while drinking some beers. I think so. I mean, you can't tell me <laughs> you can't tell me that's not what's going to happen because we don't know. Mm. I mean, I suppose there may be some people that know already because they already taped night two. But you know, hey, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Keep, so, keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> Sandy, why don't you take us through this main event here? Main event. Oh, we have the North. I'm so sorry. I had to look at my notes. We have the North, All Ego, Ethan Page, and Josh Alexander versus the Motor City Machine Guns. This match, I mean, everything, for me, it was everything and more. It was a rematch to what happened at Sunday anniversary. Um, man, I was just watching this match, and I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even take notes because I was just so completely involved in the action and the storytelling, um, everything that was going on here. Overall, man, I am in love with 
Ethan Page. He he looks like a <laughs> mega superstar. Absolutely. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I the same as you. Like I I'm, I try to pick certain things here, certain things there that I can write down to talk about. And there was one spot that was uh, really cool that I'll get to. Um, but the pacing with both teams, they were just on fire. I mean, I the the pace when you have the previous tag match, kind of at slower pace. You know, Gallows and Anderson aren't moving at a clip like they used to. They're both getting up there. Madman Fulton is never going to be that fast because he's the big guy. Um, but now you have a situation here where all four of these guys can motor. And no, no pun intended with the Motor City Machine Guns. Um, <laughs> you know, I th- there was the one spot kind of towards the end um, where Alex Shelley got up, gets up on the ropes, looks like he's about to do a springboard, and then just opens his legs up. And Saban just goes diving through them. And I don't know about you, Sandy, but I don't trust anybody to dive through my legs in between ropes. <laughs> no, not even underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I, I saw that happen. I'm like, and it was clean. He didn't clip the rope. He didn't do anything. And, you know, obviously, you know, from a, from a rope separation, Shelly standing on the ropes kind of helps open that gap up. But he didn't spread his legs very far. And, like, as soon as I saw that's what they were doing, I kind of, like, sat back in my chair and picked my knees up a little bit. Like, oh, God, like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> and he's going to, you know, he's going to need to, head, you know, take his manscaper down there afterwards. But, you know, <laughs> he – listen, no harm, no foul, right? So, uh, really, 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 really fun match. Um you know, they set up that Ethan Page, that, that all-ego kind of gets in the way with the pin. He, they have him dead to rights. They do the tag team move. And then instead of hooking the leg, he tries to pose. And, he, and uh, I believe it was uh, Chris Saban uh, kicks out of two. Um, and then from there, point from that point on, you know, we get a nice little combination, uh, Haluva kick and Enziguri in the corner. And then Saban holds the, I believe it was Page for the uh, crossbody from uh, Shelly to uh, have the Motor City Machine Guns retained. Holy crap. I was going to say this. So we're not going to be ones that are going to dissect the match move by move by move. And right. I feel like that's pretty much impossible for a match of this caliber. Mm-hmm. Both teams were just on the offense, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and doing these amazing maneuvers that just make you want to, like, I don't know. To me, I was just like, oh, this is why I love professional wrestling. The Motor City uh, Machine Guns are just so... They're a team that everyone can love, and they're, it's so easy to love them just because they're so so great in the ring. Um, I did want to make one, one... One... What do I call it? One observation? One... Like... Oh, I'm, I'm drawing out right now. I'm so sorry. No, you're okay. <laughs> no, no. Alexander. His selling of his knee that's been being uh, worked on by the Motor City Machine Guns, a very small detail that makes a huge difference in the entire story of the match. Mm-hmm. He Not only was he selling while he was being attacked um, by the Motor City Machine Guns, he even after he was able to kind of turn the match around with uh, Ethan Page and put the offense on them, he, he still registered his knee because his knee was being worked on for quite some time. That's what they were isolating his knee, isolating Josh Alexander to kind of get one over on the north. Um, just that small detail, though. I kept seeing Josh Alexander 
limp a little bit whenever he would use that knee he would kind of go back and touch it and feel it and then make up the face like hey this is hurting that to me it's just really small details in wrestling that make me appreciate it that much more and so i wanted to give a huge shout out to josh alexander another wrestler from impact that i'm not too familiar with this work but definitely excited to see more of yeah listen anybody that wrestles in headgear is okay with me so ah, yeah <laughs> and also hey he's got a great first name uh, you know, unfortunately for him, if he ever decided to join the Social Suplex Podcast Network, he would be Josh number three behind Josh Smith, uh, co-host of the Ace of Podcasts, of course, keeping it strong style, and myself, uh, the self-proclaimed Josh number two. At some point, there might be a death match between me and Josh number one to, de- to decide who will be the new Josh number one. Uh, but, you know, hey, listen. Dun, dun, dun. Coronavirus is still going on, so no matches between the two of us are going to happen for some time. Uh, but, you know, I thought – as we put it, kind of put a bow on this night one, uh, real exciting stuff. We had some great backstage segments, including one that I didn't mention earlier, which was another Heath Slater commercial, or just Heath as he calls himself. Um, you know, I'm excited for night number two. It seems like we don't have the full card yet announced. They have, and we'll run down that here quickly in a moment, but um, overall, I thought this was a really good show. They're building off of what they've been setting up for this night. Um, and then, you know, we're going to start seeing them kind of transition towards, uh, we have Emergence Night 2 kind of set. They've already taped it. And now, after next week, we're going to start building towards Bound for Glory. Um, and, you know, they're doing a good job, I think, week to week, telling stories and making sure that, if you're an impact wrestling fan, you're going to want to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back because listen, there's a lot of options and Absolutely. you know, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm happy that you know, we're a part of this podcast to actually, you know, have us put our eye because you and I are not traditionally impact fans. Um, Correct. But you know what? Listen, even if this podcast ended tomorrow, I'd still tune into impact every week because I, I I'm loving it. They have us hooked. Um, but Josh, I completely agree with what you were saying. Overall, I thought this was a very easy to follow, easy to watch show. Even us as new fans, we're kind of able to to pick and follow along the storylines. And one of the big things that's missing in my professional wrestling, in WWE specifically, is the lack to be able to follow through with storylines. I like what they're doing now. New things, hopefully it plays out in the future. But you have to be able to to allow the storylines to progress over time, over weeks, over months, maybe over mm-hmm. years. Those are always the best, the best storytelling, the best matches that you'll see. Um, so that's something that I would definitely give uh, props to Impact for doing. The wrestling itself, to me, was superb with every match delivering from top to bottom. As we discussed last week, the commentary team of Josh and Madison Rain, I believe, really works. They have a really strong back and forth, and Madison's input uh, from her wrestling experience does not go unnoticed. Um, I do also want to do a little shout out and mention that there are certain individuals that really come off as superstars to me. And mm. like I mentioned earlier, those include uh, Trey Miguel, Rohit, Rohit, I can't say his name. I got to get better on that. <laughs> and Rohit Raju and All Ego Even Page. Um, one of my nitpick things is that the show really does lack that extra energy that the audience members do bring when observing mm. from the ringside. There were several moments that I felt would have had a larger impact, no pun intended, if the audience was there uh, to follow along and intensify the emotional output. But overall, I thought that it was 
a great show. I was very entertained. I was left wanting more, so I'm very excited, and I cannot wait for Emergence Night 2. Yeah, and just to follow up on what on something you said just there, would you think that Impact would be better served doing a fan style like how AEW's had it, where fans are ringside, they're interactive, they're clapping, there's no uh, hockey boards in front of them, or do you like you know kind of the presentation that WWE's putting out, where people are slapping on the hockey boards and they're you know, not necessarily clapping at the same, you know, right times and things, uh, you know, which, which would you think that impact would benefit more from? I think they would benefit more from the AW style, though. I do like what WWE is doing with the, with the plastic, the hockey things. I'm a yeah. big fan of hockey. So when I sit front row, I'm slamming that thing and it's sure. exciting and kind of brings that energy up. Um, but I know what they're, they're trying to be, keep everyone safe with uh, the whole COVID-19 situation. Whichever way, I feel like they would just benefit from just having people in the audience to be able to to show that emotion and then bring that energy up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you're probably not wrong. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, too, once all these promotions um, – all Elite Wrestling came out and said that they're going to start selling, uh, I think it was like 20% capacity tickets for Dynamite. Oh, um, right. And you know that if AEW is going to be selling tickets, WWE is definitely going to be selling tickets, um, especially since WWE is moving over to the Amway Center, which is a bigger arena. However, it is indoor versus Daily's Place being outdoor. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Impact's response to that is. If they continue to say, we might not get, you know, the... In, you know, the fans in Nashville might not turn out for us the way that we would want to. Is it worth doing? Is it, or do we just kind of keep it going until we can start moving the show around again? It'd be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. Absolutely. So night two, um, there is two confirmed matchups. So we'll start with those. We mentioned one of them before. We have Willie Mack, who is dealing with all kinds of the emotion about Rich Swan. Um, being pissed off about Eric Young. And then now he's kind of turned, you know, Brian Myers decided to step in front of him um, and take on that uh, anger and have it directed at him. Uh, probably not a smart move by Brian Myers. Um, but, you know, I, I think we're going to see Willie Mack kind of get back on the, on the road to victory here. Um, but his emotions might get the better of him like they did when he wrestled against Eric Young. So, I. Uh, It'll be an interesting match, but I'm gonna think that uh, I'm gonna think Willie Mack takes this one. What do you think? Mm, I, my money's on Brian Myers. Yeah. Mhm. Okay. Well, you know, let's see. Listen, he was sick of losing. Let's see if <laughs> let's see if he turns it around. <laughs> like, how would they how would they disrespect this man if he comes from the mess that he came from to come back and lose? No, no, no. He has to maybe hopefully this can be a long term uh, feud between Brian Myers and Willie Mack. Um, maybe it'll end in a, in a yeah. no DQ. I know sometimes those are kind of like, oh, why? But if it's in the beginning of a feud, I think it's OK. Maybe they'll just freaking go insane and beat yeah. the hell out of each other to where they're disqualified. Who knows? I think the the interesting thing about no DQs and impact versus like a WWE is that WWE no DQs don't feel like a no DQ match. It oh, just yeah. it just feels like a match that doesn't have countouts, right? And there's an occasional maybe a kendo stick, there's maybe a chair being smacked once. Um, but Impact Wrestling in their history, uh, and even uh, as anniversary, there will be trash cans, there will be parking signs, there will be salad tongs as we saw with Kira Hogan and, <laughs> and Dasha Steels last week. Um, and then also they are they will use thumbtacks. 
which I absolutely hate. But it does sell the match and it does sell the pain aspect uh, of what a no DQ match really should convey, in my opinion. If you get a little bit of blood, it's understandable because there's no disqualifications. But, you know, we'll see how that kind of how that unfolds. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't think they'd put a one off on this card. Um, being that it's supposed to be their kind of pay-per-view level card, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the other match that we know for sure who the two opponents are is the first ever 30-minute knockouts Ironman match for the Knockouts Championship with the champion, Deanna Parasso, defending against the, her challenger, Jordan Grace, who is using her rematch clause uh, after losing the uh, belt to Deanna Parazzo. I Listen, 30 minutes is a long time for anybody to wrestle, um, I'm excited to see how hard these girls go for that full 30 minutes. I think Deanna's going to retain. We got Kylie Ray waiting to be that number one contender. I think Kylie Ray versus Deanna Peraza would be a huge, awesome match. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Uh, but if Jordan Grace wins, I won't be upset. But I'm going to think that Peraza uh, goes with the Fujiwara armbar uh, and gets Jordan to tap out again. Completely agree. And this is my my main attraction for Emergence Night 2. I cannot wait to see these two go. I'm super excited for Deanna Perazzo, uh to be back in the ring doing what she loves and what she does best. Jordan Grace, who doesn't love her? She's a beast. I want to look and be exactly like her. <laughs> Such a powerhouse. This is going to be this is going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited for it too. Uh, of the two confirmed matches, definitely uh, over the top uh, excitement for me. I'm excited to see what Eddie Edwards does in his open challenge. Um, you know, they keep teasing Eric Young. I don't think it's going to be Eric Young here because we have uh, Gore coming up. It'll be interesting to see who they kind of run out there for that open challenge. Um, I imagine it could be someone like Heath, who's, you know, we saw his Heath for Impact commercial again this week. He's still trying to make his way onto that roster Oh, you know, I got to help my buddy Rhino out, you know, but you know, Rhino's getting jumped backstage. Um, I can see Heath being thrown in there. I don't, I don't know who else they go with because they've been really pushing, really pushing for that to be Eric Young. But I think with the pay-per-view upcoming, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see them throwing Eric Young in this match yet. And I, and you know, cause I think Eric Young's probably going to win it at Bound for Glory, you know, looking ahead, but, um, I don't know who you think you think we get Eric Young here. Or you think someone else? I have absolutely no idea, <laughs> <laughs> no clue. I'm still trying to catch up and uh, figure out the storylines where everyone stands. Um, if it's Eric Young, it'll be a fantastic match. If it's not Eric Young, I'm excited to see who they pick. Um, I think like anyone who goes against Eddie Edwards, especially after what we've seen uh, the last episode and what we know of him, it's going to be a fantastic match. Yeah, and you know, and and you know, I'm looking at the roster now. I don't, I don't know who else they throw out there. Really, no one really makes sense in that spot because we already have Brian Myers and Willie Mack both being taken up there. It could be someone that we don't know. You know, hey, are they? It could be someone outside of Impact. It is an open challenge. Um, but mm-hmm. either way, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be Eddie Edwards. It's going to be Eddie Edwards at his best, and that's going to be a fun match. Um, the other thing we have teased, and it's not a match, it's why did EC3 steal the TNA World Heavyweight Championship? 
Um, I don't know because he's he wants it back. I, you know, he used to hold that title. Maybe he wants it back. I don't know. Uh, but it definitely feels like we're cruising for him and Moose at Bound for Glory. I don't expect them to have a match here. Maybe just a brawl uh, to kind of set up the next couple of weeks of TV here. I don't know. Why do you think that EC3 stole the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, Sandy? Why, Ethan Carter the third? Why? I don't know. <laughs> I can't wait to find out, though. His promos, his, uh, his videos that he put out immediately after being released from the E. Holy cow. Those were so impressive. I have yeah. gone back and watched him a few times. He's looking his best. He's feeling his best. He's ready to to do it all, I feel. And hopefully, I'm not sure what to expect for from him at Emergence 2. Maybe it could just be a video package. Like you mentioned, it could just be a bra. Um, either way, I'm excited. I'm a fan of EC3. Love that guy. Can't wait to see what he accomplishes here at Impact again. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks like a million bucks. He clearly, uh, after being, you know, put on the back burner by uh, the E and um, got completely shredded. I mean, we see that with a lot of these guys, right? Whether they're coming oh back God. from coming yeah. back from injury, uh, like a Tommaso Champa, uh, or you know, just hey, I got fired and now I got nothing to do but work out. <laughs> they, you know, that kind of fit. Uh, EC3 also growing the goatee, cutting his hair. He definitely he kind of looks. Uh, John Bernthal-ish, uh, you know, if you're a fan of uh, either uh, The Walking Dead or uh, The Punisher, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he he looks like he's just going to just wipe the floor with anybody that gets in front of him. And that includes Moose, as we saw. He's capable of doing it. So, yeah, you know, Emergence uh, Night 2 is uh, next week, August 25th, uh, airing at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Access TV if you have a subscription to cable. I did not think I had access uh, to access uh, TV Sandy. And then I found out that the the local cable guy that I get my internet from, I went and talked to him about getting my internet upgraded. And I guess he snuck in the ability to live stream their TV app. I don't get their channels on a cable box or anything, but I can use their app. Access TV is one of the channels, but I'm not home during the time that it's on. So, you know, We'll still have to watch it. Uh, I'll still have to watch it through the streaming services on Impact Plus. But you know, it's it's not uh, it's not like being on USA TV or <laughs> or TNT. <laughs> Access is a little bit harder to find. Uh, but mm. I think if you go but out there, there are ways. There are ways, and and they are one hundred percent always legal ways, um, because we here at the Apex Suplex would never advocate any sort of piracy or doing anything uh, that is not. Above the standard of the law. Because that's illegal. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing illegal here. Uh, you know, with that, that wraps up uh, our Impact Wrestling uh, for the week here. Uh, tune in uh, next week, of course, to hear our review of Emergence Night 2. And uh, after the break, we'll come back and we're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda. The good, the bad, the ugly. This is Jordan Grace and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Okay, we're back here from uh, our nice little message from Jordan Grace here, Sandy. And, you know, before we move on talking about video games, I got to say, uh, I got to give a little bit of, of a testimonial here about how great the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is. Uh, you can use it in the shower. You can use it outside of the shower, whatever's most convenient for you. It has, you know, you can use the bathroom light or you can use the LED light that is included on the Lawnmower 3.0. They have lots of great other products that I use, uh, including the Crop Preserver. Um, 
which is a uh, great uh, thing to keep things uh, fresh down there. And, you know, it, it's the biggest thing is there's no nicks, there's no cuts. You can shave with confidence because manscaping accidents are now a thing that's fast. And, of course, as you know, and we're going to talk about this again, if you go to manscaped.com and use the promo code SUPLEX, you get 20% off, plus free shipping, plus the AEW all-out pay-per-view, if you're the, one of the first five people to do so, and send proof of purchase to socialsuplex at gmail.com. And you know what? Get the lawnmower 3.0, trim that junk of yours, and afterwards, your balls will thank you. <laughs> well, you know, depending on who's using the razor, of course. Mm. I think that's a bold assumption by us, but hey, you know, I don't know. Right? We're not here to judge. Yeah, the product is Manscaped, so I think that's why we kind of make that, uh, you know, make that that judgment call there. But hey, you know what? We're going to move on. We're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite video game series. I know it's one of your favorite video game series. Um, in fact, it's included in your Twitter handle and, you know, the, there's, there are very few franchises that even if you don't know video games, you know, that franchise, obviously super Mario brothers, a more modern day example is probably something like halo or call of duty. Um, but another one is if you see three yellow triangles formed into a bigger triangle, you know that means that it's about The Legend of Zelda. And The Legend of Zelda, of course, was created by Shigeru Miyamoto, who has uh, really given us all the great video games of our childhood uh, that are the you know Nintendo-published ones. Um, Sandy, what was the first time that you remember playing The Legend of Zelda, and why? what stuck with you? All right, first of all, Josh, and our faithful listeners at home, um, full disclaimer, I may cry while talking about Zelda, <laughs> just because it, it has such a special place in my heart. And I'm sure everyone who is uh, a fan of The Legend of Zelda can tell you that. Don't really know, well, actually, there's many, many things, but there's a reason why it captivates the hearts of so many people. And it's, it could be it could be the music, the symphony. I've, I've seen the symphony live multiple times, oh, wow. and I've cried every single time. <laughs> maybe it's the music. Maybe it's the storytelling. Maybe it's the characters, the gameplay. I don't know. Maybe it's all of them. But this Legend of Zelda just completely touched me on a whole different level. And like you asked, Josh, my very first experience playing uh, was actually, let's see here. I was very young. I was still living in Colombia. I had no idea of the United States. I did not know English. I think I must have been like five or six years old, maybe even younger. Um, but I remember my great aunt, she's my, my grandmother's sister. She would play, she loved playing video games with me. So we would have oh, the wow. okay. Super Nintendo, the Nintendo the NES system, and we would my mom was living in the United States and she would send, she would send us uh, games to play and she would stay up until like four in the morning playing video games with me. And I was just, for most of them, I would just watch her. Cause that's like, yeah. okay, if we think back, I think Ocarina of Time was the first one I played with her uh, on the Nintendo 64. Sure. She, the game was in English and that game itself, if you are, if you speak English, that game itself was hard. Let's not get started in the water temple. 
But this Oof, woman yeah. played it without knowing any English and being older in age. She was like my, my grandmother's age. She figured it out. And I would just remember sitting there playing with her and also just watching her and literally just like covering myself up with the pillow as, as she defeated all these uh, temples. And man, I'm, I will never forget that. I think Ocarina of Time was my, my very first one. What about you, Josh? Yeah, so my my first experience, and I'll say this, I am I'm born and raised here in, in the United States and I still struggle with the English language. So, <laughs> you know, um, I grew up playing the Nintendo Entertainment System. My family had one. We, you know, by the time I'm playing video games, probably, you know, right shortly after that, we picked up the Super Nintendo. Um, but my first one was actually The Legend of Zelda, the original game uh, that came out back in 86. And now, obviously, I didn't play it in 86 because I wasn't born then. I am a child born in, in the 90s, um, specifically 1990. If you could figure out the math, you know how old I am. Um, but it was something that, as a, as a kid, because I'm playing this probably like 94, 95, like, you know, four or five years old. I'm playing this game and it's just, it's, it's captivating. You have a top-down view. You have to figure out everything yourself. There's no hints. There's no nothing, right? Like very, well, very little. And you got all these things, you know, these like octopus looking things shooting rocks at you. You got spiders jumping all over the place. You got skeletons everywhere. And it was the first time, like, I can't even remember like playing a game and not knowing what was going to happen next. And so that, that sense of exploration with an eight bit graphic really is something that, that hooks you in and it makes you not want to stop until you've beat it. Right. Um, which I did not do until much later in life with the first, uh, Legend of Zelda. <laughs> um, so similar, so similarly, uh, you know, I did, uh, play the first one. I, I actually, physically beat was the Ocarina of Time. Um, it was one that I got completely lost in. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a, a good transition uh, to kind of get into the main meat and potatoes, what we want to talk about. Um, and so my, my good game on uh, for the Legend of Zelda, the, or the, not the good game, because believe me, the majority of them are. Um, but my for my selection for the good section of our talk is the Ocarina of Time. And has there been better Zelda games? Probably. You could make that argument. Has there been games that looked better? Certainly. Has there been games that, you know, have better controls because they're not using the Nintendo 64 controller? You know, because now we have two control sticks, so the cameras work a little bit better. Sure. But we don't have video games as we know it today if it wasn't for the Ocarina of Time and what Nintendo was able to accomplish with that really first open world game that you could hop on your horse and ride across the entire map, right? That had never been done before. And it just, it, it was for someone like I was six, maybe seven. Well, I was a little bit older, I guess I was closer to eight when I played it. Um, it came out, it was released on in North America. on November. November 23rd, 1998. So I would have been eight years old. Mm. So I, I remember sitting there and just being completely engrossed in it and completely annoyed because my brother was the one that purchased it, which meant that he got dibs. <laughs> and oh. so 
he actually wound up going to a weekend-long church camp, and I actually played through the whole thing while he was gone, and he was very pissed that I beat it before him. And that was a fight <laughs> that lasted a few years. But needless to say, because I would then sit over his shoulder and be like, no, that's wrong, you idiot. you got to do this. Because, <laughs> you know, being the little brother I am. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just you get so just – you want to talk about getting lost in, in everything. And of course with the ocarina and the music um, and the, just the, the composition that Koji Kondo puts into the ocarina of time, uh, just like he does with all the games that he works on. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a really beautiful game. It's a simple story with a little bit of a time travel twist. Um, I'm going to assume most people have played that game, but if you haven't, um, I mean, certainly do so. Um, it is, you know, it's the better Nintendo 64 Zelda game, um, and I might be bringing oh. that I might be bringing that one up again later. <laughs> um, oh. But Ocarina, Ocarina, so for uh, for the good section here, I'm going Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64. What do you got, Sandy? What's what's your good? First of all, how dare you? I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're starting to sense it. A theme here where every week Sandy wants to hit me for something, and I'm going to oh, continue yeah. to con- to say we need to record over Skype even after the <laughs> pandemic ends because I don't know what's going to happen. I will be knocking at your door like, hey, let me in. <laughs> <laughs> but how dare you? No, but for our listeners, um, we decided to not tell each other what our picks were for the That's good, the bad, yeah. and the legend of Zelda. So it's a complete surprise to me. I not not to say that I read you like a book, Josh, but I not surprised that you pick Ocarina of Time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ouch. But that is a big one. That is a big one for a lot yeah. of people. That's really the one that kind of put the Legend of Zelda into the uh, into the hands into the hearts of a majority of the audience, I believe. And I feel it was because of Ocarina of Time. I was one of them. It was because of that game that I went back and like, okay, what's what else is in this and this sure. in this story. And then I went to play a link, a, a link to the past. And uh, unfortunately, I also played uh, Zelda Two. Let's not. I'll get into that one. <laughs> <laughs> but my good for the Legend of Zelda. Get this. It's Majora's Mask. Mm. <laughs> uh, the listeners can't out. see this. I'm not looking at the webcam right now. Uh, for the listeners at home, <laughs> I'm gonna let's, uh, go ahead, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> I am offended that you don't. See, this is why it's so good for me. I was like, you know what? I can go Breath of the Wild. I can go Ocarina of Time. I could go Link to the Past. But no, I'm going to go Majora's, Majora's Mask, damn it. That game, to me, man, the emotional attachment that I have to that game. Not only that. Gameplay, solid. Hello, it's the same, pretty much the same kind of uh, visuals and graphics and gameplay that you saw with uh, Ocarina of Time. It was still for the Nintendo 64. It was a direct sequel. Um, let's not get into the whole timeline talk. I'll have yeah. to pull up my historia books and everything. I think I think for the purpose of this discussion, the Legend of Zelda <laughs> timeline is not being discussed. There are people no. that that will claim they know everything about that, and I'm sure you do, and that's great for you. But you know what? We're just going to talk about the games. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. But no, Majora's Mask, man. Josh, I got to ask you. Did yeah. you... <laughs> Did you ever watch this YouTube video called Game Theory? And it goes into a theory that maybe Link is actually 
dead in Majora's Mask? Have you ever seen that video by any chance? I haven't seen that video, but I have seen that theory. I've I've seen that one floated around. All right. So I'm a huge dork when it comes to uh, video game theories, especially for The Legend of Zelda. I This is not even a made-up story. One day I woke up and I watched that video because I watch it at least once a year. I don't know why. It makes me cry. <laughs> Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later. But then I go into like uh, YouTube, then suggest other videos that are kind of like it. And then I go into this this wormhole of just like video game theories and what's next and Breath of the Wild 2. And did you think about what this means and what that means? And I'm just like, oh, there's so much to digest with Legend of Zelda. So that video, I mention it because to me, it makes perfect sense when it comes to digesting and breaking down Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask to me, it's a more mature ocarina of time, if that kind of makes any sense. Sure. It's more, the storyline there is just so, so deep and it has, it goes over so many different levels. And not only in the emotional aspect and the storyline aspect, but it also goes so deep uh, into the gameplay. The whole gameplay with, you know, the three, three days times having to go back and forth to be able to, to beat this game and to kind of get get everything out of the game it's tough and I feel like that's what frustrated a lot of people trust me it took me like seven times to be able to beat Majora's Mask because of the damn time traveling I just never really understood it at first especially when I was little sure, and even sure. as an adult, I was like man let me go ahead and google this because I don't know what the hell to do <laughs> but just the, the like I said like the graphics were pretty much in, in par with uh Ocarina of Time it's just really the story it really tugs at your heart um having the moon having this this apocalypse be upon you the entire time that you're playing that you're able to look up and see this monstrous moon fall upon you not only that but you have you're chasing after um skull kid who stole this mask who's that who's making this apocalypse essentially happen it was the story behind that i feel like it's just such an underrated game it's such an underdog and actually lately i've been noticing a lot of people a lot more people kind of saying, hey, Majora's Mask deserves a second chance. Or, hey, you know what? I think I like, I prefer Majora's Mask better. So, Josh, I think you need to uh, give it a second playthrough and get back to me with your modified opinion on the game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get to my opinion in a second. I do want to go back to, you mentioned Link to the Past. Um, I will say, uh, for whatever reason, that was a Zelda title that we didn't have, uh, even though we had the Super Nintendo. I don't know why we didn't have Link to the Past. Uh, I... Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I was not in, involved in a lot of the decision making to uh, purchase the Super Nintendo games when we were, you know, that was our primary system because I was, you know, four and my brother was eight. So he kind of controlled, uh, you know, that what was going on with that. Um, but Link to the Past is definitely one you should check out. We're going to continue talking about Majora's Mask because I wrote Majora's Mask as my bad. And, <gasps> and, <sighs> Here's and, and I and I wrestled with whether I wanted to make this the bad or the ugly, and the ugly. I have some pretty good reasons for, and we'll get into that. And it, the ugly also has a little bit of a hope for it, um, but for me, all those things that you mentioned about Majora's Mask are true, and I don't. And doing a good, the bad, the ugly for a Legend of Zelda talk is much more difficult than say. Uh, a good, the bad, and the ugly for the Final Fantasy series, right? There are some stinkers in Final Fantasy. 
they've, you know, they've released like 30 of them. There's going to be problems, right? You can immediately, you can jump right on into, you know, Final Fantasy 11 and talk about how bad the online gameplay was and how broken that game was and how they completely trashed it, right? Hmm. There's not really that with Zelda because unless you start talking about the Philips CDI games, and I don't consider those canon, and I don't think Nintendo does either, and I don't think anyone should ever play them or talk about them because Wand of Gamelon and Zelda's Adventure are barely video games. <laughs> Not worth exploring at all. Don't even Google them. Don't give them. Don't 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 ruin your search algorithms looking for those. Um, but I I did put Majora's Mask, and I think the same things that you talked about enjoying with like the stress of the three day cycle this and that to me that three-day cycle becomes really tedious it becomes a lot of repetition you know repetition oh i gotta make sure that i drop off all my rupees at the banker then when you go back in time three days now you gotta go get your rupees back from the banker and you have to go through the same thing over and over and over again and you lose a lot of your supplies you lose this you lose that um i i found it to be not as well thought out it was a great attempt at something different and for me this time the attempt at something different didn't work the way i think that they wanted it to um i still think it's a good video game i still think it's worth playing but in a series that is the legend of zelda uh as vast as that is and as many titles there are different sometimes works with the case like something like the wind waker um where they did the cell shaded graphics and then, you know, boat travel and different things like that. Um, for me, Majora's Mask, it just didn't, it didn't work. And so if I'm, if I'm saying something is bad because of the absence of good, there's less good in my, in my opinion. And, and for the listeners at home, Sandy is mm-hmm. staring a hole through my head. Um, <laughs> I think for me, you know, it's, it's, yeah, and I see this opinion online both ways. Oh, you're such a hipster that you love Majora's Mask. And then, oh, you're just such a hipster because you hate Majora's Mask. Listen, I don't hate it. I just don't think it's as good as the other ones. If that if that makes you any less mad at me, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, I guess. But I, I do want to, so you said it was, it was what, what, what did you just say? It was, it was not thought out enough or well enough. It wasn't yeah, thought out. I, I think I just, it was too thought out. I guess that's what, I mean, two sides of the same coin, in my opinion, because <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much stuff. There's so much stuff that I think that if they would have taken the time and then not done the three day cycle, having to do that over and over and over again, but instead saying, okay, let me, let me ask you this. If the story is you have three days to accomplish everything and you and the events that you do progress the time versus I have to run across all of this place uh, and get to this spot, go through this dungeon, go through this, go through that. And all that takes pretty much most stuff takes about two days in that cycle. So you don't have a whole lot of time to waste instead of that saying, okay, day one was, you know, the first half of day one was clearing through the forest or not necessarily day three, three days, but say like the story takes place over a week and each thing you do progresses that timeline to the point where now at the end of the game, the moon is there, you're ready to fight Skull Kid, and this is your one shot. You don't get to go back in time. 
to me that makes it a little bit more uh of a sense of urgency easier not easier <laughs> less tedious <laughs> but you know what but hey listen if you like the game which i know you do uh i certainly won't hold that against anyone it's just it's not the zelda game for me you know to me the the time travel didn't really impact that gameplay i think it added more to it because it was so new very innovative and creative the way they kind of uh in my opinion put that, all that together and not only that but you have your your missions within each part of um of um, terminal termina and Termina, yeah. yep and also the the mask the the story behind the mask being able to do all those side quests and man this game to me going back to that video game theory is it's linked dead in majora's mask if you haven't seen it simple google majora's mask uh game theory yeah. one of the first ones that comes up it released in a uh, 2013 it's been a while um it really breaks down of course it's just a theory it's nothing confirmed by nintendo or anything but it really goes into hey what if what if termina is actually some sort of purgatory because when we see in the beginning of the game link is out searching for navi he loses mm-hmm. epona there's this big conflict he falls down this giant hole which cannot be explained and how all the similarities between everyone in the in the towns compared to back in in hyrule it's really it's a really interesting theory that says hey what if this is purgatory what if and yeah. what if and also the relation with the mask and everyone that you meet throughout the throughout the storyline, how every every town they're dealing with a loss, and it's and it kind of goes over how this could all be interpreted as the five stages of grief. Every town kind of goes into one of those stages, and it's such a, a well put out uh, theory that to me is one of my absolute favorite game theories. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm a huge dork when it comes to these. And sure. they make me cry. Anything that has to do with, with, with grief and loss and death really kind of hits home to me. Um, as mentioned earlier, my great aunt playing Legend of Zelda, sure. she's the reason why I'm into video games. She passed away when I was uh, 12 years old. So it was really hard mm-hmm. on me. So anything, any kind of video game that goes into that tugs at your heart when it comes to loss, um, just it really, really kind of takes me in. And Majora's message is to me. Yes, the gameplay to some, like you, wasn't as fun because it felt tedious, but I thought it was just absolute genius. Um, and that's that's why I love Majora's Mask, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, listen, like I said, I, I especially I can understand the emotional connection that The Legend of Zelda has tying you back to your great aunt. Um, and so, I listen, I'm not talking bad about it. Um, <laughs> I'm just not talking as good about it. But anyways, mm-hmm. all right. Listen, I know this is tough for you, but you got to give me a bad. I know I'm trying to keep it positive, but no, the bad for me. I did a little, a little sneak peek earlier when it fell out of my mouth. Um, The Legend of Zelda Two: The Adventure sure. of Link. Sure. Did you play this one, Josh? I, you know, I tried to play it a lot as a kid, and I failed a lot as a kid. Um because I felt like difficulty was just completely ramped up and it kind of made it have... kind of made it unplayable and, and, and as a kid. Mm. Oh, awful. So bad. Even as an adult, I think I've downloaded on my, I bought it multiple times on my, my 3DS and at, probably my GameCube, not, not my GameCube. Yeah. What's it called? The Wii, the, the Wii, Wii U. U. Yeah. 
you, yeah. So I try to play as an adult. I cannot freaking play this game. To me, it looks so ugly. It looks clunky. I know that it had a rush release. I remember reading about this when, um, just when when I was like, why is this game so different from like, let's say, uh, A Link to the Past or any kind of game in the series? I like different. Different is good. For example, Majora's Mask. But this one, to me, just it didn't feel like a like a Zelda game. It didn't look like a Zelda game. The story behind it. I mean, I don't think I played deep enough to really find out the story. Because um, right. I just couldn't play it. It was just too hard. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, I don't know if you ever played Golden Sun. Sure. Golden Sun, one of my all-time favorite uh, RPGs. And it to, to me, it just got to the point where it's so tedious just because there was the constant, God, there was something about it that kind of reminded me with Zelda 2 that just I did not enjoy the gameplay. And so I was, I, this is one of those Zelda games that I was not able to beat and also did not want to beat. I was just like, I am done trying to play this one. And that has just been blackballed in my mind. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny too, because, and, and I agree with you, this is not, I mean, this is not a very good game. Um, like you said, Rush release, the original Legend of Zelda comes out in 1986. It's a huge success. They want to put more out in the market. They come back with uh, a different composer. Koji Kondo doesn't do the music for this one. And it's released in 87, in January of 87, whereas The Legend of Zelda was February of 86. So not even a full year of production. And they're rushing out, which is, you know, this big title of theirs. And, you know, we see similarities, I think, a lot of times, you know, when they're trying to, okay, how do we capitalize on this, right? How do we keep pushing this out? And, you know, Super Mario Brothers 2 has that same kind of problem where they really just kind of reskin yeah. another game. And then they just push it out, and then we all buy it because oh my god, it's Super Mario Brothers two, right? Um, mm -hmm. So while that's a little bit more of a playable game than Zelda two is, um, I think Zelda two also though gives us you know which is one of my favorite things to do in Super Smash Brothers, and that is uh, Link's uh, downward sword uh, kind of uh, pogo stick kind of looking move. Uh, which is of course the first time we and only time to my knowledge that we get to do that in a Zelda game is in Zelda two. Yep, and I hated it. <laughs> I'm gonna be a negative Nancy when it comes to this game. But did yeah. you know, Josh? It actually wasn't. It was a delayed release, if I remember correctly. It was supposed to release in February 1988, but I think there was some kind of shortage, and it actually released in November of the same year. Oh no, October of the same year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I mean, hey, that's that's a great note. I didn't know that. Um, ha ha! The more you know. You, listen. <laughs> I will never claim to be the person that knows all the facts. And anytime someone corrects oh. my facts, I believe me, just correct away, correct away. Like I mentioned last week on the pod, I'm a married man. Being corrected is what I do. Oh, shout out to Colleen. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Colleen. Um, so listen, <laughs> uh, this is going to be brief uh, with my ugly. This is, and I'm going to say this as a, I, I'm, this is not a comment directly about the game. This is a comment directly about the controls of the game. And the only major Zelda title that I haven't finished in a very long time, and that's Skyward Sword. And I knew it. And Skyward Sword, I thought, could have been a game that really defined the Wii. I thought it was going to be something that was absolutely awesome. I was excited for it, 
and then my god the Wii motion controls were it was unplayable I, I i listen like i've said before i fancy myself as pretty good at video games and i just got frustrated it's not that i couldn't do it it's that i didn't want to I, there was no reason for me to keep on trying to, to do this thing where I'm holding the Wiimote sideways. It's not reacting the way it's supposed to. And then even with, you know, before, you know, in before everyone shouts, but what about the Wii Motion Plus? Didn't work. That didn't matter. It still sucks. <laughs> so like we said, we try to keep positive on this podcast, but we're doing a good, the bad, and the ugly. And listen, Skyward Sword, I hope I get to play it without motion controls. Um, there was a leak on Amazon UK for a listing oh, of a dear. Switch port for Skyward Sword. If that happens, I will get that port as long as I don't have to do anything with a Wiimote ever again. And that <laughs> might be a topic for another time. But uh, Skyward Sword is my ugly. And I, like I said, I keep it brief because, you know, it, graphically it was fine. But those controls were hideous. You know what's so funny, Josh? So my ugly is also Skyward Sword. No way. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason for that, why we both chose it, is because it was supposed to be this defining moment in the Legend of Zelda franchise. And yeah. it over-promised but under-delivered. Now, to me, the the motion controllers weren't even that big of a deal. I I did fine, especially with the motion motion what's it called motion sensor control yeah. plus whatever the heck it is. Yeah, the Wii I, Motion Plus, yeah. Yep, I had no problems at all when it came to that. Um, to me, what really makes it the ugly, and, and that's why I didn't put in the bad because to me the storyline here, I mean, it really just kind of put all the other storylines into perspective and it kind of tied them up. Especially being since Skyward Sword is supposed to be the very first one, like this is the beginning, sure. the beginning of all the beginnings. Um, so to me, the storyline checks out beautiful. The 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 music, oh my goodness! I mean, I played that. I played the Ballad of the Goddess on my way to work almost every day just to get me hyped, and it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> so the music there is good. Um, like I said, I didn't mind the motion controllers. To me, the biggest issue and why it was such a disappointment was just the there was so much repetition and not in a good way not in a good way how Majora's Mask kind of made it seem to me Majora's Mask was able to do the repetition but with every repetition there was purpose to it there was a meaning behind it and there was there was um there was a reward there was a prize for for doing that every time you kept advancing to me, Skyward Sword, and I tried playing this game multiple times to see maybe maybe I was being too tough on it before. And every time it's the same thing. I get so fed up with having to go do these fetch quests only to not be rewarded. To say, hey, just kidding. We don't have the answer or what you were looking for or what we told you you were going to find. You have to do this mm-hmm. now. And it just put you all over the place. You had to go back to the same three areas multiple times. And... It, that part, what to me wasn't so bad, it was also the fact that the game, the game did not allow me to personally discover um, the quest or the things that, that I needed to find in order to progress the storyline. There was a lot of hand-holding in this game with Fee. I, I personally liked Fee, but man, she was in there even more so than Navi, and there was so much hand-holding. There was, the game was very linear in the sense like, hey, you can 
to progress, you have to do this. And then you have to do this. But then you couldn't find it for yourself. They pretty much guided you, hand walked right. you by the hand the entire way through. And one of the main reasons why I love Zelda is being able to to have the the chance to personally discover um, what the game is about, what the story is about, what you need to do to progress. The Water Temple, heck, we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. There was no hand-holding there whatsoever. No. And that is why it's such um, that temple is so memorable to most of us fans of Legend of Zelda because it was so hard, but at the same time so rewarding once you were able to figure out and complete it. I did not feel rewarded at all when it came to Skyward Sword just because I knew it was, hey, this is just the way the cookie crumbles. This is just where I need to go. This is where the right. game is pushing me. And that, to me, was just, it took me away from, from the game. And I wish and I wish it didn't because, to me, that game, I couldn't tell you how excited I was about it. I bought the special edition. I, man, it to me... It was supposed to be that defining moment in the series, um, yeah. kind of like how Breath of the Wild kind of did. To me, Breath of the yeah. Wild was actually a big defining moment in, this, in the franchise, and that to me yeah. is what Skyward Sword was supposed to be as well, but it did not deliver, unfortunately. Well, remembering, too, that Skyward Sword was the follow-up to a pretty damn good game in The Twilight Princess, and I think Correct. I think for me, the reason why, they, obviously, Twilight Princess was originally designed to be played out of the GameCube. So it keeps that keeps that traditional gameplay style, just traditional controls. You don't have any of that, you know, real motion stuff. I played Twilight Princess on the GameCube. I opted to stick to you know the old stuff. Um, and then when Skyward Sword was like, this is the first one truly designed for the Wii. We're turning a corner here. This is Nintendo's new thing. They're pushing they're pushing their chips all in with this motion stuff. Um, and then like you said, it it, it definitely fell short. Um, but that's enough time talking about the ugly. It's enough time talking about the bad. If you had to tell someone that's listening to this podcast right now, choose one Legend of Zelda game to go put it into your whatever system it is and go play it, which one is it, Sandy? Oh my gosh, putting me on the spot. I am. Outside of the, of the good that we talked, <laughs> um, my honorable mention for the good, for one that you should play, for one that maybe didn't get enough love when it came out, uh, The Wind Waker. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. I love that game. It's so beautiful. So much fun. The storyline, oh, just superb. I could I could um, do the little boat on the ocean all day long and hunt for treasure. I know some people were like, oh, yeah. oh God, the ocean's so large. But no, it's so much fun. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, uh, The Wind Waker was one that at first I was like, oh, I don't really know about this, right? I did sailing on a boat the whole time what is this and then when you start to kind of get into it right and you're like holy shit like, I'm, I'm riding a boat around right and i can do this and i can do that and it has the exact opposite problem that you talked about with skyward sword where they're pushing you to do this do this do this this and wind waker you could do anything you wanted it was completely non-linear you could find the treasure you could find the different places to go um yeah no i absolutely i i agree with that 100 percent um, yes. And it is, in my opinion, the best of the GameCube Zelda games, um, which I guess you could technically say there was three. Uh, we won't talk about Four Swords Adventures because that was mm. you want you want to talk about gimmicks uh, requiring yeah. there to be yeah. four requiring <laughs> to be four players. Uh, I didn't have three other friends that wanted to play with me ever, so I never got Four Swords. Um, 
same here. I'm an only child and I was like such a homebody and I'm very introverted. So to me, playing with sure. others was like, oh, deal breaker. Nope, I don't want it. <laughs> well, I'm one of five and I couldn't find three other people to play with yet and I, to play with me. And, you know, I think that says more about the game than it does about how much my siblings like me. And at least it's what I'm going to go to bed thinking tonight. Um, <laughs> but my, uh, my go play, um, I kind of toss around with this a lot because there's – like we've mentioned, there's so many good ones. Um, you should play all of them, uh, with, the, with the exception of maybe Zelda 2 and the CDI games. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of handheld ones that I didn't get around to playing, um, but my sister played them, who's a huge Zelda fan. Uh, she loves those spirit tracks and you know uh, the seasons and ages and stuff like that. I didn't. I I was at a point oh. in my life where handheld yeah. games I wasn't playing. I know I need to go back and play them, um, but. For me, uh, and you've mentioned it, uh, Breath of the Wild is, for me, if you want to play an open world game that allows you to do everything you do is up to you. And the fact of the matter is, is that you want, you can go and fight Ganon right off the jump. If you're really good, you might be able to beat him. I've seen people do it. But most of us are just, right, I, yeah, with the wooden sword and shield, right? For me, for me, like, just and, and it gave so much more emotion too because of the talking cutscenes with Zelda and different things and there's so much emotion built into this and with the guardians and with you know the different things that are, that's going on um, you can make that game last as long as you need it to you can make it be a 30 hour game you can make it be a 70 hour game if you're a completionist I, I mean there's not a more anticipated game I think from Nintendo right now than Breath of the Wild 2 which they announced um mm-hmm. Which, you know, with with a series like Zelda, and it's similar to Final Fantasy in that regards, everyone is an entry in that series, but they're oftentimes not directly related. Um, and, you know, we say that with Final Fantasy uh, 13, they actually made that one a trilogy. Final Fantasy 10, there was 10 and then 10-2. Uh, but outside of that, everything else kind of its own standalone thing. And with this, you know, we're seeing Nintendo say, okay, Breath of the Wild was awesome there was great fan response to it it got probably a lot of people that never played zelda before interested in that in that series um and really there's a lot of people that say well that's not it wasn't really a zelda game because you didn't go to like the dungeons and you didn't have like the water dungeon and the fire dungeon but you know what listen that's called evolving that's called making new things that's called pointing your, your franchise in a direction it hasn't gone because eventually those same things get stale. And I think that's why most video game series don't last that long. They don't have the ability to continue to grow and change and do different things because they're not trying to add new gameplay. They're not trying to change the direction that the game is going. You know, we talked about Twilight Princess. If you would have told me that I would have spent half of my time as Midna, I probably wouldn't have ever picked up the game because I would have been like, I would have been the first one to say, well, no, I'm playing as Link. That's the Legend of Zelda game. But how awesome was playing as Midna? They just give you a whole different level of puzzles. And I think for Breath of the Wild, it just it's completely different. It's completely off the walls. It's vast. The first like I mean, I would just get to the top of a mountaintop and just, just look over the scenery and just be like So beautiful. It it's one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. And it's on the Nintendo Switch. It's using a little flash cartridge and we're we're playing. I've playing. I'm playing games that are on Blu-ray discs that are supposed to be these massive, awesome, beautiful games, 
and 99% of them don't touch Breath of the Wild. They just mm-hmm. don't. And so, you know, I'm a little long-winded to my answer, uh, but go play Breath of the Wild. Seriously, if you can oh, find us, yeah. if you don't have a Switch, try your damnedest to find one, and then get Breath of the Wild. You won't be disappointed, and even though it's still a full price game, uh, it's worth every penny. Worth it and more. I think I've put over like 150 hours on that game. It's insane. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one too <laughs> that you can go back and play and play it a completely different way. And mm-hmm. this, I mean, the difficulty was there. The, I mean, it was just, I loved it. I've, I've talked enough about it. I'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we kind of, last week we did end on one more wrestling match. And we're going to get to that the same way we ended last week's podcast. Uh, but in between that, we're also going to say, hey, what, what, kind of a one more video game uh, kind of recommendation is all. So uh, it's a segment that I wrote down in my notes as calling it, what did you play? And it'll be just that, you know, we'll talk about whatever game uh, we decided to play that week. So, Sandy, what did you play this week? So, this is a game that I played this week, but I do not recommend. (laughs) I (laughs) recently moved to an apartment that has a little loft upstairs. And that loft is now my video game room. I will definitely have to take some photos and share it on Twitter so you guys can check it out and tell me what you think or what I should do differently. Um, But I took all my old consoles, including the NES. And I put in Fester's Quest, and to my surprise, it still worked. <laughs> Holy crap. So I remember playing this game when I was little, and I knew it kicked my ass. And I probably saw my great aunt play it, and she probably beat it or something. I can't really remember. But I'm like, oh, I remember this being fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, I want to be able to beat it one day. I feel like that's going to be one of my life's goals, to beat Fester's Quest. Absolutely. Man, it's hard. You get like three little, I forget, maybe like four miserable little lives. And if you advance in the game and you die, you get taken back to the very beginning. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, but in this game it is because it's so hard to be able to move forward. There's so many enemies everywhere. And it's like an alien infestation pretty much with these giant spiders who just kick your ass left and right. And then these shitty freaking guns that don't aim straight oh my god i got my ass worked for hours and i was like no i can do it i can do it and no i could not do it <laughs> yeah Fester's quest is one uh you know and i've I mentioned this to you earlier in the week uh that the angry video game nerd has definitely tackled if you if you like video games and you like comedy you know check out the angry video game nerd he's been around for a while talked about a plethora of old games that are really really bad Fester's Quest is one of them. Um, it is, like you mentioned, like the weapons you get in that game, they have a hit radius of like negative six. They do not hit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's barely, it's, it's really impossible to hit things. And if you get lucky enough, like you said, to advance, and then you take one hit that you didn't see, because by the way, your hit radius is very large. Uh, you do get sent all the way back to the beginning <laughs> of the game, and it's just devastating. And I don't have that life goal, that, that video game bucket list that you do, uh, Sandy, of beating Fester's Quest. Mine is to never play Fester's Quest ever again. So, uh, so far, I'm doing pretty good at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to you. I'm going to try to make you play it again, actually. So I'm going to oh, ruin that. no. All right. Well, we'll update you guys uh, you know, on later episodes if that actually happens. Uh, maybe we'll keep a, a ticker of uh, consecutive weeks that Josh has not played Fester's Quest. Um but I probably won't keep track of that. I'll just say it won't happen again. 
Um, my, so Josh, my, what did you play this week? I played uh, the Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation 4. And it was one of those things where I didn't necessarily want to play another AAA title. I just got done playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. I just got done playing Last of Us Part Two. I was like, man, I don't want to drop another $60 and play another AAA game right now. And then I was like, wait, there's like GameStop was getting pretty desperate for trade-ins. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to replay these other ones. So I wound up getting Ghost of Tsushima basically for, for free because I traded in. So, you know, not free. It cost me something, uh, but I didn't shell out any cash. I was excited about it. I wanted to play it. It got pushed back. But it did come out in July, and I'm a I'm a few hours into it. I haven't really gotten to the point where uh, I'm playing it regularly. When I play violent video games, Sandy, um, as you talked to my kids earlier, they are four and three, <laughs> and this game is rated mature, and there is Ooh. a lot of blood because you are a samurai. Um, you, it, it's got this kind of western feel to it um while being it feels like red, red dead Redemption. yeah yeah it kind of feels red dead-ish um mm-hmm. but i will say this uh and i'll just make a brief comment on, on red dead redemption because i didn't play it this week uh but the first red dead redemption i enjoyed a lot more than the second one i felt like the second mm-hmm. one just it took way too long to do anything or get from point a to point b uh, but that's maybe a topic for another time um but ghost of tsushima everything seems not too far even if you have to go and do something on the other part of the map, it doesn't take that long for you to ride your horse over there. There's a lot of roads. Um, and then they encourage in some places to not stick to the roads because uh, basically the, the, the story of the game is that the Mongolians have invaded the island of Tsushima uh, as a means to continue to take over the rest of Japan. Um, and so this is you know said in feudal times, you are a samurai, you got your, your katana, you got your armor, um, and basically, you know, you have two options presented to you in the game. And one of them is to be the traditional samurai, um, I'll, you know, never breaking your code, which is to fight like, you know, fight man to man, always lock eyes with your enemy, never, you know, never be do anything disgraceful. It's just pure swordsmanship. And then he gets faced with this, this kind of, this, this, um, moral challenge in that his uncle who trained him uh, is constantly in his head because he he's now being taught by someone that being sneaky is okay because it's Mm -hmm. the only way to save the island of Tsushima because they're outnumbered he's basically the only samurai left at this point um, based off of the intro of the game I don't think I'm spoiling anything there Uh, but basically uh, your character is the last samurai uh, not Tom Cruise um, <laughs> shout out to you know whitewashing uh, Hollywood movies, um, but you are uh, faced with this conundrum, and every chance that you get, every time you walk up on or ride your horse upon a group of Mongols, or you see a settlement that they've taken over, you have the option to initiate a standoff where you push up on the D-pad and he calls out the enemy, and you go one on one with someone with your hand on your sword. And they like go to attack you and you have to release the button at the right time to, and like, you like slice them. Um, and then, you know, some of them like pretend to attack to make you swing. 
and then when you swing before they attack, then they get you and like take 90% of your health. Like it's a pretty cool mechanic. And that's why it feels kind of, you know, Western dualish, right? You know, like, you mm-hmm. know, when you meet, you know, you know, Spurs at high noon, right? Um, so it does kind of feel like that whole uh, Western presentation with a feudal skin on it, uh, so to speak. Um, the gameplay is really clean. Everything's really smooth. Um, there, It is a little buggy here and there um like you know jumping you know there's there's times that my character will jump up to a ledge and instead of like grabbing onto the ledge and pulling himself up the game kind of glitches him up and he just kind of lands on his feet on a on the ledge that's like seven feet high so oh, wait <laughs> you know i'm just like eh, i'm gonna ignore that right because i'm having fun playing the game so, you know, mm. in a lesser game, that'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's this buggy. Um, but it's really minor things. And you get, like, different weapons, like a bone arrow and, like, different, like, you know, powder bonds and different things like that. So um, it's definitely worth playing. It's worth checking out. Like I said, I'm probably – I'm under 10 hours in it, and I can't wait to play more. Uh, but, you know, I got to – that's that's my late-night gaming uh, feel because uh, we're trying to keep the children away from violence and blood and, and such as much as we can. Um that makes sense. I, I did want I, to mention, you know, so you mentioned, like, uh, that the main character had a, had a moral dilemma, almost, to where he could act honorably or act just deceitfully, I guess, because yeah. he's taught both ways. That reminded me of Fable. Did you ever play Fable? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Fable Fable was a huge game for me uh, growing up. I loved that I game loved series. It. And I'll be honest with you, I was not interested in buying an Xbox Series X until they made the fable announcement that it was coming. So, um, nice. you know, but yeah, no, oh, definitely. You're, you're definitely a Sony that, guy. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I'm a Sony guy per se. Um, I never, I never owned a PS2 until I married and inherited one. Um, we were, we were a Nintendo family through and through. So, you know, NES, SNES, Super Nintendo, or excuse me, Nintendo 64, GameCube. I would get into big arguments with the neighborhood kids about why the GameCube was better than their, you know, crappy PlayStation two, um, <laughs> uh, or, you know, regular Xbox. I never had the original Xbox. Um, and then I did have a 360 for a time. You know, I had a PS three, I had a PS four pro had a PS four before that. And I traded up to get the PS four pro cause I wanted, you know, 4k. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I got to a point where I just kind of followed the games that I wanted to play. And Sony mm-hmm. has the better first-party titles, and then I always I have a Switch, obviously. Um, I was going to say anyways, Nintendo it... has the best first-party titles. Get out of here. Well, okay, okay. So, <laughs> I, you know, I should say exclusives would probably be the better word to use. First-party titles, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mario, Zelda, Metroid. <laughs> you know, I'm a big Star Fox guy. Going back to the Super Nintendo guy, you know, mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, you know, the big exclusives that Sony's uh, really been rocking, you know, with Spider-Man was an awesome game. Um, yeah. Last of Us 1 and 2 was awesome. The Uncharted games, obviously. Uh, you know, Final Fantasy VII God Remake was a place that... God of War is a, a great example. Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, I believe, is a, a exclusive for a year. Um, and then uh, it wasn't exclusive, but like Horizon Zero Dawn, I thought was a, a really fantastic game. Um, but, you know... It's a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I'll talk about video games and rabbit holes uh, until I stop myself or someone stops me. Um, <laughs> and since you know we're we're we are now uh, approaching that hour that we don't want to get to ever when we're recording, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to throw it over to you, Sandy. Uh, 
you know, for back to, to put a bow on our wrestling uh, video game podcast here, uh, what's uh, one more match that our listeners should go and check out? So everybody listening to our show, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I want to, for this second, for this segment of one more match, I actually want to give you one more series, one more promotion of wrestling to watch. And they're called Punk Pro Wrestling. Their shows are available on YouTube if you just search Punk Pro Wrestling. They have a series, uh, the most recent one that came out called The Secret Show. Um, They have 11 episodes and they're featuring great talent from Florida, including my fellow fellow, uh, classmates and friends from the Lethal Academy here in Tampa Bay, including Hunter Law, Troy Hollywood, Avery Taylor, Catalina Perez, Weezy T, Logan Cruz, Daniel Starling, Aaron Nova, and Ron Bass Jr. So if you guys have some time, definitely check them out. Give them some views on YouTube. Give some feedback. Um, these are great up-and-coming talents. Of course, um, Hunter Law and Troy Hollywood, they've been around the scene for a little while, and they're just absolutely killing it in the independent scene. Same with Avery Taylor. You've seen her on FIP, Shine, and most recently Evolve, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um mm-hmm. And everyone else, they're absolute great talents. Definitely check out their shows. Uh, lots of fun, lots of great action. Free to watch online on YouTube, Punk Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and uh, we'll actually make sure to, to link the uh, channel for that in the show notes on your favorite podcast app, whatever you're listening to us on. <clears throat> what so about my, you, Josh? My one more match, and, and this is something like we talked about last week about wanting to do a little bit more, digging into the archives here of Impact. Um, as an Impact podcast and as someone who has not been watching Impact, um, I found this match on the list that uh, Fight TV has uh, a list of the top 10 matches of the decade. Um, And the number 10 match, uh, which is the favorite one I've watched, I've watched a couple of these off this list so far, um, because I'm, like I've mentioned many, many times, I'm a fan of Lucha and I love tag team wrestling. Um, and so is the uh, Lucha Bros versus LAX Full Metal Mayhem from Rebellion 2019. Um, if you haven't seen this one, uh, it is incredibly violent. It is high spot after high spot. All four guys given absolutely everything. There is thumbtacks in it, <laughs> which is, as you know, not my favorite thing in the world. Um, mm, thank but- you. The thumb, the thumbtacks are involved in the finish, so it's okay. You know, I don't have to see them too much. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a tag team championship match. Um, it's really good. All four of those guys now we get to watch on free TV every week, which is insane uh, that we get to see them on TNT. Um, but you know, they had some great matches back in the day too. Uh, you can check them out. They have matches on AAA. They have matches uh, in Impact. Uh, really good stuff here. Um, and uh, the the finishing bump is absolutely brutal um and i won't spoil it if you haven't seen the match uh but you know i'll go ahead and try to find a way to link that uh as well in the show notes um it is really really good um so with that uh we're gonna close the book here on episode two and uh you know thank you again all everyone for listening thank you to the social suplex podcast network for hosting us uh thank you to rich lotta for making our theme music i forgot to mention that last week because I'm a terrible friend. Rich Lada. Um, Check him out. He is so dope. He is a musician. He is an artist. Check him out on YouTube. Maybe you can put his uh, his credentials there. Uh, he yeah, is awesome. Absolutely. He makes music. 
he man i could pick his mind about wrestling about music for hours i haven't done that yet maybe one day i'll be able to buy him a coffee and go through that but he's so talented absolutely and rich of course you can hear every week on one nation radio with his host with his co-host james boyd uh you can also check out keeping a strong style uh the ricky and clive show and of course uh, all things elite and a couple other shows on the podcast network please make sure you go and check them out as well one last reminder to go to manscaped.com use the promo code suplex to save 20 percent and get free shipping and the first five people to do so and send us a proof of purchase to the social suplex at gmail.com get to watch the all-out pay-per-view for free uh and you know maybe in the future we might look at doing an impact you know uh, giveaway as well uh if you're a fan of impact like we are Um, i haven't figured out who's paying for that yet so i'm not going to say that we're going to do that sandy but (laughs) we'll talk about that later um but (laughs) without further ado we'll let you get you on your way and enjoy your other podcast thank you very much thank you so much everybody bye bye